Hey everybody, this is Mackenzie and you are listening to the Enlighten Me podcast. I am bringing to you part one of my episode with Gabby Goddard. Gabby by day is an actor and by night she uses her social media platform to write and educate about sustainable and ethical fashion. In this conversation, Gabby educates us on what fast fashion really is and also what ethical fashion really is. This is something that we've touched on before in the podcast, but not something that we've really dived into fully. And so I'm really excited for you to be able to hear about it in depth from someone that I consider an expert in this area. Gabby and I recorded this episode way back when in July when it was hot and humid here. And now in Australia where she lives, it's actually hot and humid as they're going through their summer season right now. I took forever to release this episode, but I thought it was the perfect thing to release at the beginning of 2019. Many of us have resolutions, whether it's about how we can live and be better or about how we can save money, and I think ethical fashion is a part of both of those things. Besides just telling us what exactly ethical fashion is, Gabby is going to tell us why ethical fashion needs us and why it should be something that we care about. This is a big topic, which is why I split it into two parts. There's a lot of information that we're going to give you today, and it can feel a little bit heavy when you hear about it. I hope it tugs at your heartstrings a little bit because it did for me. Even though this was a topic that I knew a little bit about, Gabby still had a huge impact on me when we recorded this. So that being said, don't be overwhelmed by this information, but take it in stride. I know you're going to fall in love with Gabby just like I did. She's such an awesome person, so she's the perfect person to teach us about this. We're not only talking about fashion today, but we talk a little bit about her life and what it's like living in Australia. I got the total 411 on visiting Australia, and I can't wait to go. I do ask a really stupid question about kangaroos that you'll hear at the beginning, so just please ignore that and try not to judge me. But nonetheless, I still totally walked away loving Gabby from this conversation, and I cannot wait to go visit her in Sydney. As you listen, I would love it if you would take a second to stop and leave a rating or review over on iTunes, even if iTunes isn't the platform you're using to listen. The ratings and reviews help other people to find the show, so you're doing me a favor and you're doing others a favor as well. So please take a second to do that as you listen, and I really hope you enjoy the show because Gabby is such a wonderful and hilarious person, and we're talking about such an important topic that I'm really, really passionate about. So enjoy. I know you're going to learn a lot. And remember, this is just part one. So there's more to go. There's more time to be spent with Gabby. So enjoy. Hey, Gabby. How are you? Hi, Mackenzie. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for coming on today. And I would just love... Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. I'd just love if you would start by introducing yourself to everybody. Yes. So um, my name is Gabby Goddard. I am from Sydney, Australia. You can probably tell by the accent. I was born and raised here, which I'm you know, I'm very fortunate. It's a beautiful city to live in. I am an actor. I am 24 years old. I'm married. I got married very young. I was 21. My husband's name is John. Uh, so like coming up for four years now, actually. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, is there anything else you want to know? I'm an animal lover. I grew up with dogs, but I have a beautiful cat now called Jenny, who is very attentive to me at the moment. She's <laughs> 
wanting cuddles. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Dogs are always welcome on the podcast. So first, I didn't know this about you that you got married really young too. I also got married really young. I was 20 and I'm always like, I cannot believe I did that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I look back to you and I'm like, man, I was brave getting married at 21. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's been great, but I don't necessarily think it's for everybody. <laughs> I don't usually recommend no, it to totally. people, but. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we were probably both lucky with you know having good marriages because it is tough getting yes. married so young yes it is um so well so did you go to call what what do you guys call it in australia do you call it college or university university okay yeah did you go to university yeah. so um i am at university currently for creative writing but my acting qualification was not a degree it was a diploma okay which um yeah i did it in acting school here in sydney basically because i paused my degree actually because i realized that I wanted to be an actor and I guess I I just thought I want to get onto it as soon as possible while I'm young you know I don't want to put it off anymore so that's what I did yeah yeah well yeah I asked because I got married like in the midst of college which was crazy um but yeah that made oh, me think yeah, of it. That <laughs> yeah it yeah. is insane yeah was your husband also at college no so he's older than me so okay that's what I feel like I always say that like Here's why we got married when I was so young, because he was older and had a job. <laughs> I don't think we would have yes. done it if he was. And it was the same. It was the same with me. John had just graduated uni and he had a really good job lined up at PwC. Yes. Yep. And we didn't yep. get engaged until we knew that that was sort of sorted out. Yep. That's that's how we did it, too. I waited until I had a sugar daddy ready to go. And then <laughs> then we went for it. <laughs> uh, so and then you were telling me before we started recording that you also work in child care on top of being an yes. actor and everything else you do. Yeah. So did you study that or do you just love kids or how did that come about? No, I mean, I've been working and volunteering with kids since I was like in year 10 at school. I'm okay. not sure what year 10 is for you guys, but you're like 15 years old then. Okay. So I, yeah, I've been doing it for ages and it was pretty natural for me after I, I think I went into nannying. That was one of my first jobs. I became a nanny and then I started doing before and after school care. And now I run a before and after school care center. And we'll see how long that lasts for. That's pretty exhausting, balancing it with everything else. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you definitely have a lot going on. Um, and what obviously, mostly, what we're here to talk about is your social media and what you're doing with that platform and ethical fashion. But I also, before we got into that, I'm sure people are intrigued, um, learning, wanting to learn more about Australia. So can you just tell us a little bit about? Yes. Because you said you grew up near Sydney. No, I grew up in Sydney. So, yes. In Sydney. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I've always lived in Sydney and it's a lot less dangerous than the media will have you believe. Um, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think that it's like a thing in America, right, that you're like freaked out because we've got spiders and snakes and oh, how dangerous. But I feel like that's crazy because you guys have mountain lions and bears. Like, that's way <laughs> scarier. <laughs> I don't even know someone yes. that's been bitten by a spider or a snake, you know. It's like, I mean, we have them, but it's not. It's not like a major part of our lives. It doesn't really impact anything. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, what Sydney's like, it's beautiful. Where our city is built on a harbour, so there's a lot of water. There's there's beaches. Beautiful weather. It's winter right now, but it's totally blue sky and sunny. And I'm wearing a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. It's. I mean, and that's not necessarily typical. Like we totally wear jumpers and stuff, but it's not. Or jumpers. What do you call them? They're sweaters. You call them sweaters. <laughs> it's. You know, it's not like I'm in t-shirts all the time. Yeah. But yeah. It's. It's. It's a really wonderful place to grow up. I think it is 
the most expensive city to live in in the world currently. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, we're not going to be, you know, putting any offers on houses yeah. anytime soon. So do you still live there? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. I live in the suburbs though. I don't live in the city centre. Yeah. And we sort of live in – like we – live in a pretty leafy that's the other thing sydney's a pretty leafy sort of city which is really nice yeah yeah that's awesome we live in a cute little heritage listed house that we rent and yeah it's nice yeah <laughs> uh that's so fun well it's definitely on my bucket list to visit and yeah you have to. i know i have heard that when you're talking about the animals i've heard that the kangaroos do you guys have a lot of kangaroos there or is that mostly new zealand no <laughs> No, kangaroos are Australian, not from New Zealand. Okay, okay, okay. Because I have friends that studied abroad in New Zealand, and I remember them telling me that the kangaroos can be really dangerous. Yeah, so look, I think New Zealand has more wallabies than kangaroos, which maybe oh, okay. might be a confusion. They're okay. like, they sort of look like miniature kangaroos. I mean, maybe they do have kangaroos now. I don't think it's a big thing, to be honest. But um, okay. yeah, we definitely have kangaroos. And they're dangerous in the sense that, if you go up to them and they kick you, then that would be bad. But, like, who's going to be that much of an idiot? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not going up and trying to pat a mountain lion. Yeah. So I I, mean, I kind of think it's on par. Kangaroos are totally not dangerous if you meet them. in. Like, if I was to see a herd of kangaroo, it would be totally fine to me, for me to, like, walk up the hill and take a closer look. I'm just not going to go and try and touch one sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they're only as dangerous as you are an idiot. Right. Okay. Now, what I am dealing that with... That was not intended to be harsh, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so no. Was like, yeah. No, I'm, it's good to know for whenever I make it over that way. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Well, what I'm dealing with now is um, alligators. Do you guys have alligators or crocodiles oh, over there We have crocodiles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not in Sydney. They're, they're more of a northern northern australian thing like australia is huge yeah so there's vastly different climates in australia yeah but yeah in the top of so like our northern states are queensland and then the northern territory and then the top of western australia and you would definitely get crocodiles all around there for sure and they are yeah they are very dangerous of course yes but yeah (laughs) i mean you take precautions right like again you just don't go in the water when you know there's gonna be alligators or crocodiles well everybody here so in south carolina where we just moved to they're pretty common like yeah you're charleston yeah in charleston and which is a place on my bucket list that's the place with the really cool houses right i feel like i see beautiful instagram yes yes from charleston a lot yep you're right so it's very historic like it's been around for a really long time so it has these really cool historical buildings and a really beautiful downtown and it's on the water and everything yeah but it's below sea level so it's swampy and so there are a lot of alligators like here in florida and uh, those states which i never dealt with because i'm originally from up north closer to canada on the west coast like way up north yeah like way up north Uh, seattle you probably know okay that's the Uh, rainy place right yep that's the rainy place where starbucks started (laughs) so yeah i'm not used to them at all so i was a little bit nervous because i'm like it's like a dinosaur like they're like seven feet long and they're crazy and 
people here that are from here are like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, they just are totally used to it. And I'm like, I hear stories of you can't walk your dog when you're near a lake or whatever, like, because oh, your dog will get eaten. Yeah. I, oh, that sounds way of, worse than what we've got. I know. I've heard a lot of horror stories. The people here don't think it's a big deal at all, though. I think it's just probably where you grew up. Like, I... Like, where I'm from, there are, like, bears and all that kind of stuff, but I would never be afraid of that. Like, I've never seen a bear, but I don't know. I think it's all – it all just depends what you're used to, I guess. Yeah, that's absolutely (laughs) true. I've also heard with crocodiles, and it might be the same with alligators if this puts you at ease at all, that crocodiles, while they're very agile in water, they're really stupid and they're not good on land. So, for example, like – if you're camping in an area with crocodiles, as long as you move your tent every three days, it's going to take them that long to figure out that that's where you are and to like come find you. And if you're like standing directly in front of a crocodile and they're charging at you, basically, if you just sidestep, they'll run right past you because they can't just turn. Right. (laughs) Yes. I've heard that because their legs are so short. Yeah, I think so. So it's probably safer than you think. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. I'll, I'll keep you posted on if I have any alligator sightings. Please, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if someone else is listening and they're like me and they really want to go to Australia someday, do you think Sydney is the place that you have to visit or are there other parts that get overlooked or what do you think? I mean, Sydney is our biggest city. You definitely have to visit Sydney. It's beautiful and it's, I mean, it's very different from anywhere yeah. in the US. At the same time, there's so many other places that I'd recommend to like uh, to- I, I've actually only traveled along the East Coast. I really want to see more of Australia, yeah. but it's definitely worth going north and seeing the Daintree Rainforest or going seeing, I mean, you have to see the Great Barrier Reef because that's one of the wonders of the natural world and it's, you know, it's going to be gone thanks to, you know, us polluting the yeah. world and global warming, Right. And, you know. And then, I mean, there are so many other beautiful, cool things to go see. I'd love to go see Uluru one day. So if you come to Australia go see Ayers Rock, Uluru. In the, it's in central Australia. Have you heard of Uluru? Is that like just famous in Australia or is that famous everywhere? I haven't heard of it, but that doesn't mean it's not famous everywhere. Okay. It's like this, it's like, <laughs> it sounds lame when you say it like this, <laughs> but it's like this giant rock. It's like a monolith in the middle of central Australia. Okay. And it's, it's potentially the biggest rock in the world, but it's like in the middle of like a red desert And it's quite striking. It's extraordinarily beautiful. And it's a place of Aboriginal spiritual significance. And it's just really fascinating historically too. So, and there's a lot, there's like, there's a lot of, I think if you want to see like the typical red desert Australia, if you want to have an experience of that, then it's a good place to go do it. And also just like for the history of Australia in terms of Aboriginal stuff, there's a lot of that there. So that would be cool. I don't know. Visit everywhere in Australia if you can. It's it's a beautiful country. Yeah. And then pop over to New Zealand. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I've heard both are definitely bucket list places. So someday when I have enough courage to get on that super long flight, I will do it. (laughs) Yeah. I think think because all of the flights from Australia are so long, we get used to them. Yeah. But – they're not fun. Right. It's not fun to be on a plane for 24 hours. Yeah. Or however long it is. I think to America it's like 17. It's not so bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, didn't you went all the way to the West Coast, didn't you, one time when you came here or yeah. any time when you came here? Yeah. I went to LA last year when I was looking, when I had meetings lined up with managers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's even further, um, right? Or is it shorter? No, I think so. No, that's 17 hours. Okay. It's not as bad as Europe. Europe, you're, you like, you could be in for like 36 hours uh, from okay. 
airport to destination. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like in t- including layovers. So yeah. uh, 17 hours doesn't feel like much. I think to Dallas it's – no, wait, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Yeah. I, maybe LA is 14 hours and Dallas is 17 because it's actually not so far going to the West Coast because you have to remember I'm on the East Coast of Australia. Okay. So in terms of the world being a globe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like I'm traveling from – and like I'm traveling around the other way, if, if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yes, I'm yeah. following. I'm following. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's good to know. So with all that, I guess how mm-hmm. did you become interested? Well, maybe first, why don't you tell us kind of what your social media is dedicated to? Because this is, would you call it just like a side hustle on top of everything else that you do? Or what is it exactly? Um, yeah, so my Instagram, which is the consistently overdressed mm-hmm. actor, or you can just look it up under my name, Gabby Goddard, G-A-B-I. It's uh, an ethical fashion Instagram. So I post outfits with majority clothing that I own that is from an ethical label or was purchased ethically. So, you know, purchased secondhand, purchased from an op shop. An op shop is a thrift store. It's just, we call okay. it an op shop. It stands for opportunity shop. Oh, that's cute. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I, I, I think, I guess the purpose of it is just to show that you can be stylish and you can also be ethical. And it's not like you have to sort of just dress in wheat and hemp. Yeah. You know, right. t- or, or be in a nudist colony to <laughs> sort of be ethical with your clothing choices. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of if it's a side hustle, I guess, look, I actually started out my Instagram because my Australian agent and my American manager kept reminding me how important it was to have a social media following. But I sort of wasn't really interested in doing it for the sake of just increasing my following, just having some kind of social media presence. I didn't want to just take pretty selfies or photos of my bum and put it on Instagram and hope that I got followers. And I also don't think it's even that interesting to just post about work stuff. It doesn't really do anything for anyone so I thought what kind of things could I do on my Instagram that might be useful might bring something to the world rather than just and so that's sort of why I started doing the ethical Instagram thing and and I sort of started I did the six items challenge and I that was my 2017 six items challenge and I was posting the photos for that and I thought well I'm already posting photos of my outfits why don't I just keep posting them with other ethical clothing that I own and Mm -hmm. yeah and so I that's sort of what happened yeah that's really cool I love that you have so much purpose with what you do and that you didn't just want it to be just all about you looking cute even though that's already what it is it is mostly you looking (laughs) cute but it has purpose behind (laughs) it which I love and so how how did you get into this you told me a little bit of background with it but how did you get so interested in fashion and then ethical fashion so I've always been interested in fashion my mother was a fashion designer in Australia and she ran a she ran a pretty successful business until I was two my little brother was born and she got chronic fatigue she had to sell her business okay yeah yeah and um but at the same time she still loved it and so it was still something that I very much grew up around you Mm -hmm. know like she had a studio which was more like a shed that was just filled with fabric and sewing machines and you know <laughs> yeah and so it was something that was very much a part of my life and my mum was always very creative with her dressing and I think it was just in my blood 
to love clothes and love fashion and love being able to express myself with what I wore. And I was also never, I didn't really have limits in what my parents let me wear in terms of, I mean, that's not entirely true. They were pretty conservative in terms of yeah. like my skirt length and stuff. Right. <laughs> no, I, was, I remember my mum used to specifically make me skirts because she thought that nothing in the shops was long enough. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, but I mean, she made me nice stuff, so it yeah. was fine. But yeah, yeah. I, I, in terms of like me expressing myself with what I wore, it wasn't like my parents were really like, oh, you, you can only wear like these pretty pink dresses that we buy for you or anything like that. I was sort of allowed freedom to choose my own Mm -hmm. style. So that was cool. And yeah. And then in terms of ethical fashion, I mean, I'd always, we didn't have heaps of money growing up. So most of my clothes were from op shops anyway, when Mm -hmm. I was a kid, which I think was great for me because it meant that I was already used to sort of purchasing in that way and being mindful about my clothes, but ethical fashion specifically To be honest, I think I avoided it for a long time and other highly sensitive people might relate to this, but I find it really emotionally difficult to face tragedy Mm -hmm. in the world. And so for a long time, I avoided the news. I like anything that would sort of put a heaviness on my heart. I would sort of not want to face because it would make me too sad. And I think that I think that I'd heard stuff about sweatshops, but I just didn't want to face it. Um, And so I was really... Honestly, I was being willfully ignorant. And then it was in 2016. And I should have heard about this earlier because this happened in 2013. But the Rana Plaza collapse, Mm -hmm. which happened in the capital of Bangladesh, Dhaka. And it was this awful tragedy and like 1,129 people died. Yeah. And it was was a garment factory and, uh, you know, just just packed to the brim full of women that were doing backbreaking work, way too long hours without any safety or security for pittance. You know, like they were making nothing. It was barely survivable. It wasn't a livable wage. And and they died doing it. Like 1,129 mm-hmm. people died in this collapse. And, and, and the thing was they had been telling the management that there were cracks and that this building was dangerous and the management had done nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard about that in 2016 when I was when I found out about this labor behind the label six items challenge, which I think I think we're talking about later. But I, I read about it on their website and then I sort of started doing research into it and it just I couldn't believe I'd been ignoring it for so long because it was so obviously happening everywhere I mean 97 percent of the clothes that you guys have in the U.S. and probably in most Western countries Mm -hmm. is made overseas it's not made in the U.S. and it would be similar it would be a similar number in Australia Mm -hmm. so you have to look at that figure and go how many how many how, how much of that is made in developing countries well majority of that because it's the cheapest place to make it right yeah and these developing countries they don't have protections or rights they don't have like yeah they just it's it's not like they have unions protecting them like we have here or real legislation or anything mm-hmm. and so i just i think i just started asking more and more questions and thinking like what's the likelihood that my clothes are made with people's blood yeah because you know? we don't we like we would hate the idea of ha- owning a blood diamond but we're happy to own blood shoes because mm-hmm. we don't know about it you know mm-hmm yeah, and so that's when I did the six items challenge because I wanted to raise money for Labor Behind the Label. Yeah, and then after that, I just kind of continued on, and it yeah. became just a, just a sort of unconscious habit. Like I don't 
I don't think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't buy from a company that I don't know is transparent. Yeah. Well, that's I yeah, that's just amazing. I think that's a really cool story of how kind of this came to your attention and I can totally relate to you on being just wanting to be ignorant towards what's going on in the world because even just with starting this podcast it's like oh my gosh there are so many issues that we need to tackle like there are so many things wrong in this world absolutely and it can get really overwhelming and so I get it like I get why some people maybe wouldn't want to listen or whatever it is like it's just it hurts too much and it feels like there's nothing we can do yeah and but that's the thing though right is that actually by living in willful ignorance you're helpless yeah and once you have the information then you can do something with it you know yeah and you can actually you're not helpless anymore you're equipped to try and change things yeah and it and, and with ethical fashion it's so much easier because you're not actually necessarily having to go out to rallies or you know go into politics and right. write legislation right. or anything yeah. like that you you can just vote with your wallet yeah. you know it can literally just be your purchasing power that starts making a difference yeah that's what's so amazing is that it's really not it's not a big deal to have to make a difference in this yeah absolutely. particular area absolutely and that's something interesting about the voting with your wallet idea is I've heard that for a long time and I'm like that's so cool I love that concept And something I didn't realize until someone else I interviewed, Diana Stewart, who I interviewed about green cleaning, um, she talked about how we are already, the thing with voting with your wallet is that you're already doing it. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not something where you're like, you should vote with your wallet. It's like, you already are voting with your wallet, and you're just not thinking about it, probably. Like, you are either voting for sweatshops or not. Like, you are making a conscious vote. Or maybe not always conscious, but you're making exactly. So it's just about switching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, voting for another party now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I also wanted to say with the, is it called the Rana Plaza? Is that right? Yeah, Rana Plaza collapsed. Okay, yeah. and so that's in Indonesia, right? No, that was in Bangladesh. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, even poorer, really. Like I think I think that they have the most. They've had the most disasters relating yeah. to garment workers out of anywhere in the yeah. world. Yeah, yes, that's really it is tragic. tragic and I think it's so that I I was I didn't really know about that either because partly because I don't have cable so I don't even think about turning the news on but also because it's sad but I didn't know about it until I actually taught at a university and one of my I taught public speaking and one of my students yeah we have a large international student population and one of my students was yeah. from that area and did a speech on it and I was like oh dang like this is personal like it it's one of those yeah it makes it real doesn't it (laughs) when you know someone from there yes whose life was impacted by that and it's just it's and whose life is impacted by people like whose family members are working in sweatshops and whose life is impacted because Americans or you know whatever like the western world just wants these clothes really cheap or wants these clothes really fast I'm like that is insane This is just crazy. And it's something yeah, it is crazy. I think the clothing part of this is interesting. It's it's I think it's a really important conversation to have because I feel like people feel really compelled when they hear about things like like, I don't know, child soldiers in Africa or just any other kind of human rights issues mm-hmm. feel really sensitive and feel like, yeah, we should all do something about yeah. that. But clothing, it's so like 
I don't know why. Maybe you can tell yeah. me why. But I feel like it's so far-fetched for people to grasp changing their shopping yeah. habits with clothing and associating that with human rights issues. Yeah, and you know why it is? It's because it directly impacts us. So I have a good friend yeah. who she she's, um, you know, she's a caring person. She's not like an entirely self-centered person at all, not, not by right, a long right. stretch. But she was talking to me about it because she's been in fashion for a long time and she's about to start her own label. And she wants to make it ethical. So she was sort of asking me questions about it. But she was saying like, look, ultimately, Gabby, what it comes down to is I want to shop ethically. I want to shop in a sustainable way, but it's going to come down to style. Mm -hmm. And if there's something that I really love that's very stylish that I can't get out of my mind and it's not ethical, I'm still going to buy it. And to be honest, I actually get that. Like I, I get the, because I love clothes and she loves clothes there's sometimes a pull towards something that's like a garment that's really beautiful and you just can't get it out of your brain and you know that your outfits will be amazing with it or and mm-hmm. you know like you just you long to wear it like a piece yeah. of art you know and the mm-hmm. sort of not buying that because it's not the most ethical choice it's like well does it really make a difference like it's one item yeah I can justify it but then that's billions of people that are saying that you know it's like billions of people saying yeah it's one item it's fine <laughs> It's like, right. it's, it's not justifiable anymore and we can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's, I think that that's why, because people think it impacts their personal freedom. If you say you shouldn't buy that because it impacts someone else. It's like, well, hold on. You're telling me I can't buy it. That's mm-hmm. it's yeah. People, I think people think that you're taking away their freedom of choice, mm-hmm. which no, you're just choosing to look after other people. You're choosing to care about others. That's yeah. Really what yeah, I think it comes down also to to like convenience and yeah, that's there are a lot of yeah, like there are a lot of like human rights issues that are easy to I think get on board with without impacting our convenience. Like maybe it's just donating a small amount or putting a sign in your yard or changing your Facebook profile picture to have this flag or whatever it is. Like that's so easy to do and you feel good about it. Yeah, but clothing is something entirely different like it's not as easy as just changing your profile picture it requires a bigger change and it's just inconvenient for people like it's not as convenient to pay more for clothing and search harder for it online when tj maxx is right there or whatever it is and and i get it but like i think tj maxx is so cheap right (laughs) Yeah, it's so cheap and it's so cute. I totally understand. Anytime I go in there, I'm in trouble. I'm like, oh my gosh, shield my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I just feel like there's so many things where I've heard like we have to stop choosing convenience and it's so – like it applies Mm. to so many areas in life and like that's like Mm. my my quote of the year, I feel like. Like one big thing is with recycling. Like I'm such a habitual recycler to the point where Mm. I annoy people because like I'll – Take my recycling home from work if there's no recycling. <laughs> or whatever. I do that too. I'm crazy. Yes, I know. And I'm like, I, and, and it's funny because it's not like these people are against recycling. Like they're like, no, I recycle at home. And I'm like, yeah, yeah so do I just recycle in all areas of my life. Like why wouldn't yes. you? And I know that it's not convenient to carry around a bag of recycling. Like yeah. I totally get it. Or we were doing that when we were in Europe, like leaving our hotels. I would carry about, yeah. around a bag of recycling because our hotels didn't have it or whatever. And my husband would get really annoyed with me. And I'm like, that's because it's inconvenient and I'm not choosing convenience. (laughs) He was like, no, you're right. I know, I know. But, but yeah, it's so easy to choose like what's just more convenient for us in those situations. It is. is, Yeah. But the good news is for anybody that 
that feels like that is, and I'm sure that you can corroborate this, Yeah. but once you get in the habit of doing it, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like an inconvenience anymore because it's your so ne- second nature. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So it it's, yeah, it, like the convenience thing, it almost doesn't factor in because, and I, and I think it seems more inconvenient also from afar. Like a lot of the time it's like, oh, that would be so inconvenient if I made that shift. But once you do it, you're like, actually, like maybe it's a bit inconvenient sometimes, but mostly it's pretty easy. Yeah. Like it's not. And, and so I think that, yeah, I just want to say that because it's not like inconvenient forever. It's not going to really impact your life once it becomes a habit. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You know, it's not scary. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. Yeah. It's even like, especially the recycling thing. Like it's something I hardly think about anymore. Like you just, you just do it. Like yes. it's just part of life, you know? So yes. I agree. Yes, exactly. So I feel like yeah. maybe because we're both really passionate about this, we got ahead of ourselves a little bit. So <laughs> I yes. was hoping maybe to, for some people, this might be like a foreign concept to them, like ethical fashion. Well, I've never thought about that or whatever. Or maybe they yes. heard yes. about it, but not really looked into it that much. So can you maybe just define yeah. some of the common terms like fast fashion is one that we're hearing a lot. So maybe like defining that and then yeah. also defining what ethical fashion means to you. Yeah, cool. So with fast fashion, there's a quote on the true co- the true cost, which is a great documentary that I highly recommend. Ooh, okay. and, you know, I'll probably end up quoting it quite yeah. a bit. But basically what they said was there are broadly two types of things in our lives. And there are things we use, so like our car, our washing machine, maybe a suitcase, like knives and forks, you know, there's things that we use and there's things that we use up like chewing gum, lipstick, other makeup, cigarettes, you know, that sort of stuff. And the thing with fast fashion is we've gone from treating fashion as something that we use to something that we use up and that's fast fashion. That's Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that that's a good definition of it. You know, it's like this constant Mm -hmm. turnover. And in terms of ethical fashion as a term, I think if we're purchasing something that's ethical, we know that the workers all along the supply chain from the farmers who are growing the seed to the people who are sowing the item at the end are paid a living wage, they're treated with dignity and they're safe Mm -hmm. and there haven't been animals who have been abused or mistreated in the process mm-hmm. and the environment is protected and cared for mm-hmm. and taken into consideration i think that that's what i would consider ethical fashion broadly no those are those are great descriptions now if i don't want to like i've told you before i never it's never my goal to make people feel bad about themselves or feel depressed yeah. about the issues in the world like my hope is that people always feel like hey, now I know about this and I can make a change or whatever, or I can make a difference. But would you maybe, if there's any, if people don't understand or maybe haven't heard how this is negatively, how fast fashion is, or just fashion in general, is negatively impacting our environment or animals or other humans, are there any like big ways that you can just kind of tell us that would give us a, better picture in our heads for what that means and I don't know why fast fashion is damaging right yeah yeah? exactly yeah yeah um look it's hugely damaging and and the fact is fast fashion is a pretty new concept actually like it's 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 pretty new to the world we we've we've 
fashion is going at a crazy rate now, right? Like it used to be that we had four seasons and now we have 52. And even brands that aren't necessarily part of the fast fashion cycle, like, Mm -hmm. you know, H&M or Zara or anything like that, are still, you know, dropping new items every Monday or whatever. And And so it's like you feel like you're out of date once the week is out which is mm-hmm. so crazy but it's a it's a purposeful marketing strategy to get you to buy more and it's part of consumerism and it's you know on a wider scale it's part of capitalist culture you know mm-hmm. so but basically it's really damaging because fast fashion and us fashion is so cheap today right it's ridiculous you can buy a $20 pair of jeans you can buy a $5 t-shirt brand mm-hmm. new and because of that we consider it disposable mm-hmm. because, right, it only cost us 20 bucks. Who cares if it actually yeah. doesn't look that good? Or, you know, like we could buy five pairs and if we don't end up wearing them, it's fine because we only spent 100 bucks on five pairs. We could chuck a couple of them out. It wouldn't be a big deal. And we end up chucking out about eight, I think it's eight pounds, about five kilos of clothing each year, each person does. Yeah. And imagine what that is doing to our landfills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're getting packed with textile waste and those textiles release toxic gases for 200 years after they end up in landfill. And so it's poisoning our air and our environment and our ecosystems. It's terrible for the environment. The actual process of making clothes is really bad for the environment too. So if you look at even just the way that the well first of all you look at polyester that's literally made of petrochemicals it's made of plastic like if you wear polyester you are wearing plastic and we know how damaging plastic is for the environment already Mm, the whole process of creating it and getting it to a stage that you can wear it in is toxic but also in terms of like it's it's life on earth it's not going to break down yeah (laughs) you know what i mean it's plastic so There's that. And then you look at even stuff like cotton, right, which sounds like it should be totally safe and not not problematic at all because it's a natural fiber. But actually, cotton is one of the most damaging. It's one of the dirtiest crops on earth. And that, just a side note, that also goes for cottonseed oil. So if you can avoid buying cottonseed oil or having food that's cooked in cottonseed oil because it's actually really it's really bad for you like you're literally ingesting chemicals but oh boy cotton crops (laughs) yeah yeah just to say that cotton crops uh basically require a huge amount of pesticides yeah and the workers who are spraying those pesticides and the communities that live around those crops like the towns the cities that are built on you know built near cotton farms are paying the price so it's a human it's a human cost and it's an environmental cost because we're poisoning the land which means that that land is then ungrown it's it's look it's a cycle so Mm -hmm. with with cotton it's actually a bigger issue than that there's basically i think 80 percent of cotton crops in the world uh mainly in india i think and there is a company and i can't remember the company name but they have patented this particular seed that's a GMO seed, a cotton seed. And 80% mm. of cotton comes from these particular seeds. And they are supposed to be pest resistant, but it turns out that they don't deliver on their promises and they're not pest resistant. So farmers are having to buy these pest resistant, these poor farmers in developing countries who you know, don't have a lot of money and they're just trying to survive, are yeah. buying these specific seeds and they're forced to buy these specific seeds from this company because it owns the patent then it doesn't deliver on its promises to not have pests. And so then they have to spray for pests. And 
the chemicals in the spray are owned by the same company that owns the patent for the seeds. So it's a very wealthy monopoly, essentially. And the farmers in poor developing countries are paying the price. And so is the land. And basically, it's sort of like they're working their businesses into the ground. I think yeah. it, it, it was on, on the true cost. It says something like 200, there have been 250,000 suicides of farmers that are growing cotton plants because the company, they can't afford to pay back the company that owns the patent to these seeds. And so the company reclaims the land and then the farmers kill themselves. Wow. And it's, it's appalling. So, you know, and that's just the seed process. We haven't even gotten, we haven't even gotten to the sweatshops yet. Right. And so, yeah, so in terms of environmental stuff, there are huge environmental issues. And that's why it's good to buy organic cotton, by the way, because organic cotton is not, there's no patent on any of the seeds. (laughs) They're just Mm. the original seed. And the workers are not exposed to these chemicals, which are making people sick and causing birth defects and cancer in the surrounding towns, things like that. So... Yeah, organic cotton is a great alternative. And there are other there are other alternatives too that we can get into later. But the yeah. other thing is if we're looking at the cost of the ethical cost on, on workers, not just the environment, um, you have to think about the fact that with fast fashion, the cost of creating clothes, the true intrinsic cost of creating clothes has gone up the same way everything else has gone up, right? Because the cost of living just increases. So the cost of a car now is going to cost more than it did 20 years ago. The cost of a house is going to cost more. The cost of, you know, a bunch of broccoli is going to cost more than it did 20 years ago. But for some reason, the cost of clothing has gone down. And so you have to wonder who is feeling that decrease in cost because you can bet it ain't ASOS. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's not the people that own the companies, that yeah. are paying for that right it is the people in the middle the people who are creating the clothing and because the manufacturing process has gone almost entirely offshore 97 percent of it is offshore majority of it is in developing countries where labor laws are not strong those are the people that are feeling the pinch and what happens is companies huge companies can go to a manufacturer and say, look, this other company is willing to do it for 50 cents for a pair of jeans. So if you can do it for 40 cents, I'll give you the job. Oh. And and it, it keeps going like that. And then that company does it for 40 cents. And so then they can go to another manufacturer and go, hey, this company's doing it for 40 cents. So if you can do it for 30 cents, I'll go with you. Yeah. And so people are getting paid less and less. And it's majority women and girls. Yeah. Who are getting paid less and less and yet they don't have a viable alternative in terms of making a living. And so they are forced to continue to work in these terrible conditions mm-hmm. at an unlivable wage mm-hmm. because they don't have another option and they just need to survive. And so they have no hope and no future and this is, this is what their life has become. And, and these places, as we know from the Rana Plaza collapse, they aren't safe. They're usually very hot there's usually chemicals involved. It's just all around appalling conditions. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is these women are really cornered because they don't have any power, you know, because because they're not protected with the safeties that we are in the Western world and with our democracies. And, like, we're so blessed. We have the ability to stand up and say stuff and we have no repercussions. But 
in the true cost you see this as well it's there are a few stories where women try to stand up and it, it goes really badly there was in cambodia a few years ago they, they were trying to this these cambodian women from a um, manufacturing firm they were trying to um what's the word i'm looking for um <laughs> i can't believe i've forgotten this word mckenzie <laughs> it's such a basic word you know where people go out with placards and signs and they try oh, and protest yeah, protest oh how am i mind blank on that where my brain's at so yeah so they had protests to try and get i think it was 160 dollars a month us that they were trying to get for their work which is pittance you know yeah. it's nothing and the government sent out the riot police and they shot into the crowd and five people were killed mm. and 20 people-ish were arrested and 40 people were injured mm. just for trying to get $160 wow. a month. And there was a situation in Bangladesh where a group of women tried to, they formed a union and they took a list of requests to management. In the company that they worked for, they went to the manager and they with this Mm -hmm. list of requests and what ended up happening was their managers locked them in the room along with a bunch of their fellow workers who weren't part of the union and they got their fellow workers and the management attacked them with fists they beat them up they used scissors oh my gosh and so it's like these people they (laughs) they're trying to stand up for themselves and they're putting their lives at risk in the process. And so they don't do it, but yeah. even coming to work, they're putting their lives at risk. And this is happening yeah. for the cost of us having $5 T-shirts. And that's so wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's actually just on that, that's actually why we're in such a fortunate position because we don't have that risk if we stand up. So we actually mm-hmm. have a lot of power because we can – like we were talking about before, we can vote for our, with our wallets. We can do things like my Instagram. You can, you know, donate to Labor Behind the Label. There's so many things that we can do without fear of any repercussions. Yeah. No, I mean, that's just, it's mind-blowing to hear that. And, and I feel like I'm pretty educated on this stuff. And I didn't know half of that stuff that you just shared. So I'm so glad that you told us. But And it's almost like, I, I'm sure you can relate to this feeling, but it almost is like, like it's so it makes me mad to hear that like it's so frustrating because I love shopping I love clothes like I love and I'm sure there are people that are listening that can relate like that just get a lot of joy from like you said like the art that comes with that and you know there are some people that don't really care and that's fine but Mm. you know like we all need clothes right and it's like it's just unfair because we didn't ask for it to be this way like how did it get this far without us knowing is what it feels like almost yeah and And I think it's the willful ignorance thing you know what I mean yeah and and I think people probably feel like well that sucks but that's not my fault like I didn't I didn't do that like I I didn't ask for this to happen but that doesn't and even though that's true like none of us want this to be happening to other humans we are actively contributing to it like we like we said and you know it's a lot of it's unknowingly and so it's understandable um or for a lot of us it's just we kind of know that like I always think of Nike with that like most people know that Nike and child labor are associated with one another but they choose to just kind of not look into it because it's hard to hear because people love Nike and so I don't know I just it's like frustrating because we should be able to 
you know, it feels like we should be able to get the clothes that we like and not be contributing to something so awful. But unfortunately, that's just where we are. Um, But this is why I'm so excited to have you here because I just know that there's so many ways that we can make a change. And I, like, again, I don't want people to feel depressed. Like, we need to know what's going on. Like, we need to understand the problem to be a part of the solution. But that's what I think what why why I think what you're doing is so cool because I like I don't know if you saw this, but I had um Samantha Martin on for my third episode and she runs a Gothos athleisure. Mm. I don't know if you've seen her on Instagram, but super cute ethical activewear. Yes, I listened to that podcast, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's just it's so yeah. cute and she did such a good job starting this business and it's awesome and it's just one of those companies yeah. where you just like feel so good about buying like there's just you know no like you just have such a clean conscience buying from them and I love that and you know yeah and that's totally like that's the thing it's so easy to get bogged down when you hear these tragic stories but the fact is it puts the power back in your hands so that you can choose to do good things like purchase from her company which actually makes you feel great about yourself. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom. Yes, you know? totally. And like the, I just can't, like these people that you're talking about in these countries that are just over overwhelmed by poverty and by their life circumstances yes. that have just been handed to them, they really need us. Yeah. Like, because we're the ones putting them in these situations or like continuing to put them in yeah. these situations. And so yeah, they- Yeah, indirectly. Indirectly, yes. we, we, we create, yeah, by creating the demand, we create the situation. Yeah. 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 And so just like that, they need us to, you know, help uh, help them out. And that doesn't just mean like, oh, I'll make a donation to a nice company. I mean, that could be it. But it could even yeah. just be shopping a little bit differently. So I know it was a lot to take in. Did you know that there are so many components to fashion? In the past, we've talked a lot about what happens in the manufacturing process, but we haven't really talked about the whole process from beginning to end. From the beginning of planting the seeds and harvesting the materials for fabric, then to the manufacturing site, and then to our closets, and ultimately to garbage dumps where we're creating lots of fashion waste. All of these things have such dramatic effects on not only the planet, the environment, ecosystem, and the animals involved in the process, but also on the people, including us and our health. I don't know about you, but I could totally relate when Gabby was talking about willful ignorance. Can anyone else relate to that? It can be so emotionally stressful to talk and think about problems like these that you just want to push them away. And even though I really do feel that way, I also agree with what Gabby said, that this is something we can't afford to just push away anymore. As we can see from the example that Gabby gave of the Rana Plaza collapse, the lives of women and children and valuable people are literally at stake here. This is something we just can't afford to ignore anymore. I totally get that fashion can be hard because a lot of us tend to have pretty strong opinions about it, and it's definitely not as convenient as a change as some other things are. But like Gabby was saying, it can become just a regular part of your life that you really don't think twice about anymore. In part two that's coming out in two weeks, Gabby is going to tell us more about how we can be a part of the solution and give us a lot of great ideas for being an ethical and conscious shopper. Until that releases, I encourage you to keep thinking about the topics that Gabby and I talked about today. Do your own research. 
check out the True Cost documentary, and listen again to this episode. Sometimes I know we go over a lot of information here, and listening twice can be so helpful to make sure you're really getting everything out of it. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get part two as soon as it's available. And while you're over there, don't forget to leave a rating or review. My hope for today's episode is not that you feel depressed or discouraged or sad about the problems on this planet, but that you are awakened and enlightened to some issues that really do require our attention and that we can have a huge impact in. Like Gabby said, that willful ignorance takes away the power of the voice that we have as consumers. So until next time, keep listening to these conversations, keep doing your own research, keep thinking about the ways that you can make a change and the ways that you can stop contributing to the problem and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.